0: how is that possible it's crazy right some kind of atmospheric mirroring effect it's like the northern lights
1: anyway two moons brings the truth three signifies the ascension
0: Hello and welcome to the Good Friends of Jackson Elias, a regular podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror films, and horror gaming in general. I'm Paul Fricker. I'm Scott Dalwood. And I'm Matt Sanderson. And this episode we're looking at the 2017 cult horror film, The Endless. But before that, what's been going on?
2: I understand, Paul, you've had a virtual trip to Poland recently.
0: I did. It's the only kind available, I'm afraid, in our present climate. Yeah, I had the pleasure of joining Mike Mason and we were interviewed for a Polish convention. Our interviewer was Anna Mazur. She's one of the authors of the Call of Cthulhu scenario book, Does Love Forgive? that was published, I think, last year.
1: The PDF came out a while back, but the physical copy is now available as of this year that you can order from chaosium.com.
0: Yeah, that was a fun uh, interview and the the link for that will be on our website, blasphemoustomes.com. By the by, I did go looking for it after we'd recorded because I I wasn't sure what the link was for YouTube. So I put in Fricker Mason into Google. And I I hit upon this restaurant in America called Fricker's Mason. (laughs) There's a chain of uh, diners, uh, sports bars or whatever called Fricker's. And there's one in Mason. Uh. Which state is Mason in? I can't remember where it was now. I think it's it's about an hour's drive from Gen Con. I remember that.
1: There was me hoping it could be somewhere we could go when we next go to Necronomicon. Be quite a trip. <laughs> Speaking of things in foreign climates, I hear workings have been going on in France, or rather particularly in French, that thanks to uh, friends over at Secrets of the Masquerade, there'll be a French edition of Full Fathom 5.
0: Yes, using your same layout, Matt, the translator was able to work into that very effectively and has done a great job. So, Soussank Brazé, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, which is the translation of Full Fathom Five, is also now available on DriveThruRPG. RPG. bien. That's
1: the limit of
2: my GCSE French. And speaking of publications, the Blasphemous Tome is looming large... So this is the fanzine that we put out for our Patreon backers. It's a fully licensed Call of Cthulhu fanzine. And Matt, you have been hard at work on your new scenario for this. How's that going?
1: Pretty well. We've had a full playtest of it now and I'm determined to get as many little Peter Benchley-related Easter eggs into there as possible, to the point where we had one of our players, admittedly with an O-1, did manage to one-shot kill a Shoggoth by spear-gunning a scuba (sighs) dive compressed air tank that the Shoggoth had eaten. I've got this little rust bucket of a ship called the Orca, got another ship in there called the Griffin, which is from a different Peter Benchley work, so uh, answers in the comments if you know what one that's from.
2: Have you managed to work in any references to Lush? No. (laughs) You've failed, Matt.
1: I haven't finished the scenario yet. Give me time.
0: Wait a minute. They killed a shoggoth in one shot. Is this pulp or regular Cthulhu?
1: I've put in options for both. Nice.
2: So the Blasphemous Tone will be available at the end of June. If you're backing us by then, we will well, find some way of getting it to you. Take a look at the link in the show notes for details of who gets what at what level. And now on to our main topic... The Endless. The Endless is a 2017 film from the directorial team of Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. This was the third feature film they've made together. They've since made another one. And they seem to be carving out quite a niche for themselves in the, I was about to say horror world, but their stuff isn't just horror yeah, I don't know how you describe a lot of the stuff, but, I mean, for example, Synchronic, their latest film, is, I'd say, much more science fiction.
0: Yeah, I've yet to see Synchronic. I'm, I'm interested to uh, give that a watch. And they're also working on Moon
2: Knight, a TV programme for Marvel. Yes, based on the old Moonlight comics, which is basically (laughs) like Marvel's version of Batman in some ways, except if Batman had multiple personality disorder and were driven by ancient Egyptian mysticism. Okay.
0: And their two former films to this were Resolution in 2012, which is kind of a prequel to this. Well, it is a prequel to this, if we're going to be strict about Mm. it. And Spring in 2014. Although I think they've kind of succeeded in making two films, one of which is the sequel to the other. But I mean, I watched them originally the wrong way around and... I kind of think you can just watch them either way around. It doesn't really matter.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I saw Resolution before I saw this. I saw Resolution when it first came out. And I think The Endless would work standalone without having seen it. But at the same time, it does provide that moment of realisation when you see events and stuff from Resolution turn up and The Endless. Yeah. Uh, you think, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah. I'd say out of all the films they've made so far... My favourite by far is Spring. Spring I just absolutely adored. There was something about that one that just clicked with me. I like their other films, but Spring, I can't say enough good things about it. In fact, I even wrote a review of it, which is on BlasphemousTomes.com, and I will put a link in the show notes. Paul, you mentioned about the connection between Resolution and The Endless. There is also a much more subtle connection between the endless and synchronic as well the red flowers which will come up at some stage in our discussion turn up more as an easter egg than anything else in synchronic as uh, oh, okay. the basis for a designer drug hmm.
1: the production of the endless operated under uh what could be modestly said, a relatively tight budget. I mean, if you look through the credits, they might as well have just put every single thing, like from director, producer, star, best boy, grip, everything oh, yeah. down to Benson and Moorhead themselves, because it seems like they did everything on the production. Mm. And certainly that helps keep the cost down.
0: Yeah, so Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead play the two main characters. And why bother changing your name?
1: Yes, we'll just have them called Justin and Aaron. <laughs> so that kind of makes life easier. Speaking of these two, Justin and Aaron, they're brothers, and they're escapees from what Justin refers to as a UFO death cult. They are living in poverty, struggling to adjust to the outside world. Aaron was a child when they fled and remembers the community with well, some, somewhat through more rose-tinted lenses. There's something as a lot more benign.
0: Yeah, the life they're living now is they're really quite you know on the breadline. They've got a really shitty car and they're working kind of low-paid jobs and trying to scratch a living and the food is really poor. And Aaron makes a real point about how good the food was when they were back at the community, mm-hmm. at, the, at the cult. And he's kind of quite nostalgic
2: for it, clearly. Yeah, it's not just the money aspect of it, that they seem to be living this life of isolation. They've got each other for support, but they seem to be isolated from the rest of the world. That they've just never really worked out how to reintegrate themselves with the rest of the world. Right down to the fact that, is it both of them or is it just Justin who's going along to therapy for deprogramming? Hmm.
1: You berate that car, that saves them at the end of the film, so watch it. (laughs) <laughs> well okay spoilers yeah.
0: Matt, spoilers so that's, that's a good little car yeah it's a good car it's a good car i mean they do have to push start it but yeah it's a good car and i will make the point that this film was recommended to me i think it was last year when we were doing our episodes uh, our, our never-ending series our yeah. endless series about columns somebody recommended this film to us and i think that was what led me watching it on my october horror movie challenge last year so thanks for the recommendation
2: Like you say, I mean, obviously there's the cult aspect of it and the fact that these are former cultists. It got me thinking that... In terms of Call of Cthulhu inspiration, for a start, I mean, just the idea of people who've left a cult and are sort of struggling to integrate themselves with the mundane world. In a case like in The Endless, where it's certainly very heavily implied that all of the weird shit that's happening in the cult is stuff that started happening after they left. They probably hadn't encountered anything overtly supernatural or weird before leaving the cult. I was thinking cthulhu cultists or cultists in call of cthulhu who leave the cult after having experienced all that weird stuff i mean that must be even worse how do you reintegrate yourself with human society after you've seen beyond
0: well it depends what you've seen as a cultist. system i mean if i mean i can imagine a lot of cthulhu cults or a lot of people that have been in cults in the real world haven't necessarily seen anything that's going to blow their mind that much have they you know unless they've been on drugs or yeah well we talked about that kind of thing but Mm. but my point is in the fiction then in call of cthulhu even it depends on the nature of your cthulhu cult if you're actually calling up i don't know dagon or something you're actually witnessing that that's one thing but if you're just a bunch of people that get around and and say prayers and, and read from some old book and stuff like that then you know, maybe you haven't actually witnessed anything that life-changing.
1: It's one thing I've got as an idea for a project coming up later down the line, uh, when I've cleared my deck of the various things I'm working on at the minute, having an examination of what happens when a cult, maybe not necessarily that someone leaves a cult, but because the cult has failed or the cult's been destroyed, but those that are left over, what happens to them then? I think this is a good good premise for a
0: scenario, you know, like, like Justin and Aaron here who were in the cult when they were younger and they kind of got you know certainly the younger one Aaron has got hazy memories of it or fond memories of it but they're perhaps not quite right and you know he's got a yearning to go back there so you can imagine a player character group with the setup of wanting to go back
2: to this this cult and speaking of which the interest in the cult, or at least the pull of the cult, is, is brought up again when they receive a videocassette in the post from their former comrades at Camp Arcadia. Uh, this you know, sort of little recording that's talking about Ascension. Aaron really wants to go back. As you've mentioned, he has much more positive memories Justin is very much against the idea but Aaron talks him into basically going back for a visit just basically to check up on their old friends
1: after a long drive through the barren countryside and boy is it barren the two pass by some weird road markers which Justin believes are volcanic features sculpted by the wind I must admit I'm no geologist but I've never heard of anything like that before
0: It's the kind of thing I can imagine do exist. It's that kind of weird thing that Mm. might be real, but I don't know if it is or not. I mean, I kind of figure it isn't, but maybe it is. Mm. They look like walking sticks, kind of knobbly walking sticks plunged into the ground.
1: What they reminded me a little bit of, but a bit more shaped is i've seen plenty of these videos on youtube where people take deserted ant colonies and then pour liquid metal into them then they pull this Mm. weird kind of almost Mm, like coral like tree like branched thing out of the ground afterwards but this was more like what you'd find if it was a channel going straight down into the ground that someone had poured that metal into and then just decided right pull it out stick it on the side of the road Mm. So, yeah, something that had that appearance of being a formation underground at one point, but i will say I'd never heard of this thing that they're describing otherwise. While they're looking at these things, birds move in a strange circle overhead, and beyond these markers, the brothers enter Camp Arcadia.
2: So we get this circle motif all the way through the film and obviously it ties in with the name the endless and the ideas that we're going to come to but mm. it pretty quickly i mean from the outset it's is just spot the circle there are circles everywhere they're just inundating you with this motif pretty much from the moment the film starts
1: I was oblivious to it personally <laughs> What really? Yeah seriously.
2: Yeah. Circles everywhere, Matt. Everywhere.
1: I suppose I was just waiting for something interesting to happen, but we'll get to that later.
0: <laughs> Everyone they knew years ago is still there. At the uh, it's kind of a community out in the in the wilds, in the woods, and apparently unchanged by time. The community gives the brothers a warm welcome. While Justin keeps his emotional distance, Aaron is is drawn in almost immediately. He was the one that wanted to go back, and he's he's happy to be there. He forms a bond with Anna, who talks about making clothes for Aaron when he was a child, despite them seeming to be fairly close in age.
1: That was one thing I did notice while well when I watched it was thinking, hang on a minute, there's supposed to be a lot of years that have passed, and there's no aging makeup or anything being applied here. Mm. Is that because it was a low budget, yeah. or is this deliberate? I don't know.
2: It's deliberate. So I'd say that everything about the community that we see at this stage seems very much closer to Aaron's idyllic childhood memories than Justin's description of them being this sort of weird death cult. The members of the community do make the occasional joke about being culty and acting like a cult, but on the whole, they're benign, friendly, welcoming, and apparently pretty well-adjusted. Aaron... Once he's back in this milieu, seems to be happy, possibly for the first time in his adult life after this miserable existence out in the, the real world, and almost immediately manages to convince Justin to stay on for at least another day.
1: That's another weird thing that strikes me when you say about them being culty. That I remember that thing about, oh yeah, the food was the food was so good back in the day. They're going to focus in on it at one point. It's just a plate full of bloody veg. What the hell has happened to his taste buds?
2: (laughs) Because they've been living on ramen.
1: (laughs) That is appalled. Ugh. yeah but
0: matt is appalled by the fact it was good food and then he
1: gets there
2: and it's just vegetables <laughs> they looked really but, good i there.
1: survived my student days on ramen noodles damn it and i found they were really tasty but a plate full of veg i'm thinking what the hell has happened to your taste buds
0: mate matt is proofed against the uh, the lure of the cult obviously because uh, yeah. you know they
2: serve vegetables
1: <laughs> he's out of there too green too green
2: uh. <laughs> After all our talk about cults in earlier episodes, and thinking about cults in in fiction and in Call of Cthulhu and so on, I'm not really sure that I'd consider what we see at Camp Arcadia to be a cult. I mean, it, it really seems just more like a commune to me. Well, what do you think a cult is? Cults may operate as communes, but not every commune is a cult.
0: No, that's fair. I mean, yeah. But there's other stuff going on, isn't there? uh,
2: There's other stuff going on in terms of them interacting with weird shit that's going on in their environment. But again, that doesn't make them a cult because that stuff is happening. It's not like they're operating under delusional beliefs, shared delusions. They're reacting to very real things that are happening in their environment.
0: Yeah, I think this is a fairly benevolent
1: cult. It definitely strikes me as a cult. But there's one thing it doesn't seem to have that others that we've looked at in the previous episodes do, and there didn't seem to be one centralised leader. Ooh, okay, well. There was that distinct lack of, this is the person that's at the top of the totem pole, this is the person giving all the orders, this is the one controlling every aspect of their lives. That wasn't present in what I watched, anyway.
0: Shall we come back to that in a minute? Because
1: I think that's a a point that we come to. Hmm. All the members of the community have creative drives and activities that fill their time. One of the residents mentions that a million hours need to be spent doing something to achieve mastery, which, he says, translates to around about 112 years. <laughs> so much for aspirations of mastering scenario writing, then. Oh, well.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's
0: usually a thousand hours, isn't it? But, you know, here it's a, it's a million hours.
2: But again, at this ties in with what he was saying before, Matt, about them not aging. So, at the risk of getting slightly ahead, I mean, this is a film that deals very much with time loops and repeating time. And I think the implication there is that they have been through so many loops at this stage that a lot of them have mastered stuff because they have had that million hours.
0: Hmm. Oh, yeah. Hal, who appears to be the community's leader, and and as you're watching it, it kind of feels like he is, he later insists that he's only, like, read to be the leader because he talks a lot. Well, Yeah, But he tries to connect with with Justin. Hal is trying to construct a a complex equation. He's got this blackboard with all this uh, algebra on it. The equation, he's, he's trying to get to the root and explain something that is going on, but he's unable to explain it to
2: Justin. So this is his thing. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure what to make of this. It sort of seemed to be an interesting idea, but it's not revisited in the story Hmm. It just seemed like, at the time it was introduced, that it was something that was going to be important, and it's not. I guess the point is that it plays in with the idea that each one of them has got this thing that they're doing. Yes. Yeah, but, I, I don't know, it, it felt like it was going to have more of a payoff than it did. On
1: the first night, the brothers attend a community event, come ritual, by a campfire. People are invited to pull on a rope that stretches up into darkness above. Although Justin tells his brother there is simply another commune member on a ladder at the far end. Yeah, because playing tug-of-war on a ladder really is a good way to get yourself (laughs) confused with health and safety.
2: What was the name of the community member that was supposed to be up there? Smiling Dave or something? Smiling Dave. Because they point to him at the first meeting
0: and they go you probably remember dave right and then the camera pans across to this guy in this white shirt and he's just got this fixed grin on his face and he's just sat on (laughs) his own at this table staring at them (laughs) a brilliant character (laughs) that's another thing in this film there's so i I mean i I found it really funny in places and that that was one point where i kind of burst out laughing
1: (laughs) most of you this requires no explanation but we have many traditions here at camp arcadia none more prominent and the struggle. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 Woo. Um, right. We have a struggle with
1: passion. The struggle with growth. The struggle with the higher power.
0: Smiling Dave on a ladder.
1: And. And.
2: <laughs>
1: what, <laughs> Anna? Um, that would be all of which we overcome with perseverance. You're the one who invented this, so why am I always the one looking ridiculous I'm Because I'm reigning champion, that's why.
2: <laughs>
1: ah. There you are. <sighs> Woo. Need a breather. Who's next? Aaron wins his battle by tying the rope around himself while Justin ends up with rope burns on his hands. And having back in the mists of time when I was at uh, middle school, I was the anchor for the tug-of-war team. So yes, tying rope around (laughs) yourself is a really good idea! Dumbass, why did you just grab (laughs) the fucking rope? But this scene, because I, I missed the bit about there being someone at the other end of the rope or them claiming them to be someone at the end of the rope and just seeing this thing go off into the sky, pretty much, mm. uh, reminded mm. me a little bit of things like, oh, is this a kind of weird take on the, uh, oh, what, what the hell do they call it? The um, Indian trick Indian rope.
2: The Indian rope trick.
1: There we go. I knew it had rope trick and Indian in there somewhere. I just couldn't remember which <laughs> order it was in. But yeah, thinking of that, that it's used in another horror film. I think it's uh, the Tales from the Crypt adaptation back in the 1970s, the Portmanteau film, where it has this uh, woman going up to the end of the rope and then looking up into the camera, like, screaming and vanishing. It reminded me very much what is at the end of that rope because it just goes off into dark and there's this mystery that really just isn't explained there. Mm. So that, that was one of the more yeah. interesting visuals or moments for me in the film anyway.
2: So after this rope pull, the brothers each wander off. Heron, he's accompanied by Anna, and he witnesses some strange phenomena, these sort of weird reflections in the air that make it look like there are two moons up in the sky and like eyes looking down at them, these sort of shimmering walls of something... It's a really quite unsettling thing. Mm. Meanwhile, Justin goes off and has an encounter, first of all, with a rattlesnake and and suddenly some invisible thing moving around and just this suddenly cascade of of just weird things happening, bang, 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 one after another. And then there's suddenly this scattering of photographs, or not not scattering, just an arc of of these photographs dumped on the ground. Mm. And he grabs one up and takes a look at it, and it's got a picture of the lake and a boy on it. Mm. One thing I I was kind of taken by in terms of how we present stuff and scenarios is how quickly this film starts ramping up the weirdness. It's not a film where you sort of wonder whether there are weird things happening, there's sort of subtle things. It's almost immediately from the time the brothers are at the camp or, you know, not long after they arrive, there are clearly impossible and strange things happening, undeniably strange things.
0: Kind of strange, but not, like, over the top. I would say it's fairly slow and subtle, I think.
2: I don't think so. I, I, I think... Personally, I really like throwing weird things in early in my scenarios. I quite often like starting off with a bang or at least laying that out to begin with. A lot of Call of Cthulhu scenarios, a lot of the classic Call of Cthulhu scenarios I've played, seem to hold a lot of that stuff back to the end. That for a long time it just feels like you're playing a, a detective story and then it's sort of, ooh, us.
0: What do you think about that, Matt? I mean, with this film, how the pacing of that...
1: I'll answer more in terms of scenario. Yeah. I think it really depends on the story when you choose to add stuff into it. I mean, I've done both. I've done from the first scene where it's uh, like a big sand check as weirdness hits the players or hits the investigators pretty much straight from the outset through to others where there's no sign of the mythos until you're like half an hour from the end of the game. It all just depends on what the game is and what the story is you're trying to tell. Mm. In terms of the film, I just found it a confusing mess, to be honest, from this point onwards. Oh. there was weirdness being thrown at you left right and center that it just had a numbing effect to me it was just oh yeah here's another weird thing okay next move on mm. oh look another weird thing yeah yeah
2: you didn't fall asleep during this again did you matt it's not that complicated a film
1: no honestly i just felt like this thing washed over me and that i was in some kind of trance because i just really had a hard job following it
0: it does have a kind of trance like quality because the music mm. is, is i mean i really like the music but it's kind of a, a quite a hypnotic score yeah i can't even remember music Yeah, I mean, you don't really remember it. It just kind of washes over you, but it it kind of adds to the...
2: The otherworldliness of it, yeah.
0: The otherworldliness, yeah, that's a good phrase for it. It is just very much real world, you know, trees and the woodland and stuff, but there's these weird reflections and strange shapes and things.
1: This is the point in the movie where I really kind of had trouble. Up until this point, I was fine following it. After this, it was just, what the fuck am I watching?
0: Right, okay. Hal suggests that Justin explore the bottom of the lake near that boy that was in the photo. There may be answers Justin needs down there, he tells him. The two men have this discussion under a night sky with two moons in it, which Hal explains as a he dismisses it as a perhaps an atmospheric effect. There will be a third moon rising later, he explains, which will signal the time of ascension.
1: Justin also encounters a woman named Jennifer who is living at the camp but does not seem to be a part of the community. In fact, she leaves passive-aggressive post-it notes around the camp telling people to be quiet. She tells Justin that she's looking for her husband, Michael, who has gone missing in the area. And after watching one of the many online reviews about the film, that apparently is an Easter egg tie-in to Resolution. Yeah. Yeah,
2: because it's not at all obvious, but her husband is one of the two men in the house that gets burnt down, which we'll come to later. So, uh, after hearing all this about what possibly lies at the bottom of the lake, Aaron and Justin take a rowboat out onto the lake the following day and go fishing near the boy. Justin, apparently fairly spontaneously, strips down to his underwear and then dives in the water. He's down there for some time, and when he resurfaces, he's in a blind panic, and he's clutching this small metal toolbox. And he... It insists on heading straight back to the shore. And then we get this this shot from above, which again, building on the circle motif, shows this dark circle spreading out under the water. Which, yeah, again, I found that really quite creepy. Mm. Oh, oh, shit, I got the monster. There's something down there. I saw it. It held me down. What?
1: I wasn't sure what to make of the shape. I wouldn't have called it a circle. I mean, there, there was kind of that Jurassic Park thump and then circular mm. waves coming out from the central point. But if anything, it just seemed to be like this growing, shape changing Rorschach diagram pattern thing that was under the bottom of the lake, almost like an ink blot. I didn't think it was particularly circular because there were tendrils coming off it.
2: Mm. I think you might need to check your TV again. <laughs>
0: No, no, I think Matt's right. I think it was. It kind of made me
1: think of a Rorschach. Yeah, the ripples were circular, but...
2: But it was still fundamentally a circular shape and it was playing very much on that circle motif that runs all the way through this film. The one that I
1: missed entirely.
0: So back at the camp, the brothers find a video cassette in the toolbox that they uh, got out of the lake. The tape shows the brothers talking to someone. In the film, Justin is telling them that the people at Camp Arcadia are dangerous cultists what we're told here is that the entity this thing above the trees or this thing that inhabits this area gives the people photographs or, or videos as a way of communicating with them this is how it communicates with the the cultists
1: if we want to call them that maybe it's got shares in betamax or out of a completely antiquated technology
2: but yeah i mean this is something that goes back to resolution as well this sort of communication mm. through images and media and it runs all the way through this film as well. And it is playing on this idea of the entity as audience, that it is a consumer mm. of media, that it is seeing the people around it as its entertainment. And, you know, these are perhaps its ways of preserving this or, you know, it's sort of seeing the world through the medium of film and photography,
1: I don't know, it just struck me as being very kind of forced, that it's how can a videotape suddenly just manifest from somewhere, why is it a videotape? There were too many points where I'm just thinking this doesn't fit with anything. Mm. If you think of it on that level, then yes, it probably works, but just taking it on what's been presented in the film so far up until that point, it just seemed really, what the fuck?
0: Yeah, but a great way in a scenario of getting
1: clues. Yeah, true. Yeah, but but again, (laughs) very much all the plot means that this has to happen. So therefore, we drop it to you in the form of a video or DVD or whatever. Just
2: no, God, no, no, no. This was again one of the strong motifs of the whole thing. That I'd say the film is all about sort of the relationship between the audience and and what they're viewing, and this being seen as a sort of predatory act.
1: This brings things to a head between Hal and Justin. Hal is angry that Justin has presented the community as a death cult to the media. Justin has also said that the men at the camp are all castrated. I've completely missed that bit. They certainly don't sing an octave above everyone else. Hal insists that this isn't true. Fed up with Justin's negativity, Hal asks him to leave.
2: That thing about the castration has come up a few times, and it's obviously meant to be just in sort of drawing upon the Heaven's Gate motif because he's presented the the people mm. at Camp Arcadia as being this UFO death cult, which obviously was a very strong descriptor of, of Heaven's Gate. And this is the way that he's portrayed them, first of all to Aaron, but also to the outside world. And this is the point at which is confirmed that basically none of this is true.
0: Erin is angry with Justin and refuses to go with him. Justin tries to start the car but discovers the battery's flat and so he heads off on foot. His journey out of the camp takes him past more of the strange stone markers lining the path. Passing between them leads to strange shifts in perception.
2: Yeah, so for example, you've got that bit where, is it Anna is sort of just behind him and the two of them are just invisible to each other, even though they're just feet apart because they're separated by one of these barriers. Mm, That's a really nice bit. Having headed down the path, Justin discovers the shack of Shitty Carl, this man he remembers from his earlier life at the Commune. Justin is shocked, as he would be, to discover Carl's dead body hanging by its neck from inside the shack. He's even more shocked when the living Carl wanders up behind him outside the shack.
0: This is a great scene. I love this scene. Hey, I'm sorry to come by so late. I'm, uh... Lost and uh, <sighs> Hey, I can hear you in there It's Justin from 10 years ago Can you just help me out? you open the thing, there's a the dead guy, you're shocked, and then that guy walks up behind you. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, plus, you've got this fantastic NPC with the best name ever, Shitty Carl. It's
1: great. I hadn't seen this film till we were doing it for this episode, but I realise I have used that image, that uh, trick in a scenario as well. Ah. Carl explains that the entity which controls this land has trapped him and others here. It keeps them locked in time loops and not Even death provides an escape. Not all of these loops are the same length. Carl believes that the entity does this because it gains pleasure from watching them.
2: So again, this comes back to the idea of the entity as this watcher, this invisible presence, which is sort of manipulating these lives, keeping people trapped for its own entertainment Mm. These time loops with the people suffering or just repeating trapped inside them are sort of like it watching television or watching a film. It's just watching its its pets running around. I thought that was quite a a chilling image. But it's also the idea that it gains pleasure from just watching effectively the same things over and over again with little variations, just these people living their little loops. Mm. There's something very childlike about that because children get a lot of comfort from watching the same films or the same tv programs over and over again that i think possibly makes the entity even creepier The childlike need to see the same things over and over again regardless of the the human cost. yeah
0: death according to carl is the foundation of the loops I think that's disrespectful. I think we should call him by his full name, (laughs) Shitty Carl. Death, according to Shitty Carl, is the foundation of the loops. They are all initiated when someone within them dies. If people do not die by other means, then the entity kills them to start the loop. We do get a view at some point across the plateau, across the the landscape, and there's these kind of like, almost like uh, crystal domes, kind of shimmering in the in the in the sunlight they're not really concrete but you can kind of make them out so there's this location and within this sort of rambling location over these kind of rural landscape of hills and so on and trees there are these zones within it with their own little loops going on and you can wander in and out of these zones And but there are characters that are trapped in these zones because they died there and they're living loops some might just be a One's, like, five seconds long. Some are, like, ten years long. The one that made
1: me giggle is the five-second loop. Poor guy just getting out of his chair for eternity.
2: Mm. It's not even five seconds. Yeah, it's on the clock. It ticks. Regardless of what the clock did, timing it, I mean, that was like a two-second loop. It really was just move, bang, dead, move, bang, dead, move, bang, dead, move, bang, Mm. dead.
1: (laughs) Shooting yourself for eternity and it doesn't end.
2: (laughs) But is there anything in particular about the way this film uses time, or the entity uses time, the way time is presented here, that, again, we think might be inspirational for games?
1: I'd have to get my head around how it works, because why are the two main characters able to walk in and out of all these loops, whereas the characters inside
0: can't?
2: Because they haven't died.
0: Yeah, they, they weren't trapped in there. They didn't die in there. And I think they weren't there for the ascension. Yeah, When they were there was between the ascensions. They didn't experience one. So they didn't kind of get trapped there is how I read it. I mean, the, the rules for this aren't really like concrete and explicit, but I think that's the nature of it.
2: I think they're explained well enough. Unless you die within one of these loops, within one of these zones, you can wander in and out freely.
0: But the rule of how long the loop is isn't made clear. Oh,
2: I see. Yeah, that seems to be completely arbitrary. It seems to be down to the entity, whatever it feels like creating for that particular loop.
0: Yeah. And in terms of games, I mean, this puts me in mind of one of my scenarios. I won't say which one, but (laughs) I've written a scenario which kind of deals with an aspect of this. The thing that I really like that this does is that it has... Various ones going on at the same time, that overlap, I find that great.
2: One of the things that hadn't quite clicked with me before, but sort of impresses me about this, is that it may be the only film I've seen that involves time loops that doesn't seem to riff at all or doesn't seem to echo Groundhog Day. Mm, yeah most of the time when you see films with time loops they're reinventing the grammar of groundhog day because if you watch enough television programs and you know, enough science fiction programs at some point you will see a program uh, or see an episode where you've got a central character who's wandering along and it's sort of oh there's a character acting a bit weird but they don't interact with them you want to down the street a bit more oh there's someone else doing something a bit quirky and as soon as i see that i sort of think oh fuck it's a time <laughs> loop episode mm. and i've never been been wrong about that and yeah, you don't get that in this which is cool
1: on the other end of the scale i watched calm springs that recently got released on amazon prime which is very very much groundhog day 2.0 down to the point of that it starts at this point and then you have the same events play out over the course of the day and then the next day is the same course of events playing out again because these loops are so or I will say these the main loop the 10 year one is so long you don't get that kind of tracking over the same events that you've seen Apart from the five-second one, and that's just bloody hilarious, which was bang, dead, bang, dead. (laughs) I find it quite frightening, actually. I'm interested
0: that you find it funny. Yeah, I mean, I found other bits of the film funny, but, you know, I didn't find that bit funny.
2: Yeah, the short loop I found really disturbing, actually. Yeah. That just seemed to be so completely hellish, being trapped in that. We need to work.
1: It was where he finally had that moment of realisation and then looked to the camera and Mm. talked to the guy outside. Then it looked a bit scary, but otherwise it was up out of the chair, bang, chair, bang. That just struck me as comedy gold, but finally with a hint of horror
0: in there. So meanwhile, back at the camp, the community members are growing anxious as Ascension draws near. One of them, Tim, warns Aaron
1: not to do it if he doesn't want to. Justin decides he needs to rescue Aaron, but is unsure of how to get to the camp safely. Carl, or rather, shitty Carl, offers to draw him a map. Map is a very grandiose term for that. <laughs> yeah, that's thing. a great map. It's a, it's a over great. here there's one circle, over here there's another one, and then there's a beagle one over here. What the fuck? But only if Justin goes to a nearby time loop and gets him a gun from the tweaker trapped there.
2: Yes, the tweaker gun nut, as he's described over and over again. So the following day, Aaron has his own encounter with this invisible entity. And again, it drops photographs. One of them shows Aaron from above as if the creature has just taken the photograph looking down on him. Another one shows him a picture of a trailer. He goes off to talk to Hal about this, and Hal talks about his theory that the creature is made of impossible colours that the human eye just can't see because we don't have the mechanism within our eyes to do so. Personally, I don't really buy that because it would still occlude light. So if something were in a possible colour, you'd... I'd say still see it as uh, a sort of mask because he wouldn't see through it. But anyway, that's just him spitballing. I don't think it's meant to be mm. the, the truth.
1: We've seen the colour out of space. We know what it looks like. Yeah.
2: And Hal suggests that the picture of the trailer might be the entity showing Aaron where Justin is. So Aaron heads off to find him. Now, following mm. shitty Carl's
0: directions, Justin finds the house where he's supposed to get the gun. There, he, he opens the door and there's this guy, like, chained to the radiator. <laughs> he's like, what? The? It's just another what the fuck moment. I guess that's another reason I like this film is because there's so many of those. This is where he meets Chris, chained up and desperate for drugs. He's like, have you got any drugs on you? He's like, no. Have you got any crack? Have you got any crack?
2: Don't suppose you've got some crack on you.
0: And Mike, Chris's partner, who's uh, outside digging, comes in with this, like, mud caked hard drive that he's found in the earth outside that uh, you know the entity is is deposited there we figure now these two are the protagonists from the film resolution the prequel to this film and this is their like scene in this film which is great and again i think one of the key things that appeals to me about both of these films is the the kind of fellowship the the friendship that the two mm. main characters have you get it with Aaron and justin and you get it with mike and chris in resolution just this friendship that is so warm and well portrayed on screen and i just enjoy being in their company and i could just watch them all day it's just i just really love
2: it and chris is just such a great comic character as well Mm. he's obviously a man with a, a serious drug habit who is not to be trusted and as we saw the first thing he does when he meets someone new is sort of say oh yeah you got any drugs but At the same time, he comes across as more kind of roguish than desperate and creepy.
1: After discussing their situation and taking a gun, Justin heads off. He witnesses Mike splashing petrol around the house and burning it down, killing himself and Chris, and inadvertently burning the map to Carl's place, rather shitty Carl's place, that Justin had accidentally left behind. And then, boom, it's back to normal again.
2: Yeah. Justin is now lost and wandering around, and he encounters the tent in the woods uh, we talked about with the guy on the two-second loop. But then he, he comes across this house with a fairly nice garden where Aaron also turns up. The garden has got a table in it where the guy has left out some drugs in the form of these red flowers that the people in the commune smoke. He's left a note there basically saying, oh, you know, help yourself if you want drugs. There's also a cine camera set up which uh, has got a a sheet dangling there as a screen. The red flower, as I mentioned earlier, turns up as a sort of, I guess, Easter egg and synchronic. It's the only connection between the films. After the brothers leave, the camera starts up this movie projector starts up
0: showing a film of the camera showing its film it's kind of like an inception thing <laughs> layers within layers and and an invisible force suddenly smacks the camera sending it flying across through the air into the valley where we glimpse several of these shining domes that i, I mentioned earlier these kind of like these are the the various time loops is what i took it to be um, down yeah. in the valley
1: stopping off at shitty carl's to leave the gun the brothers discuss their future Aaron wants to stay, entering into the commune's loop forever. It may be a prison, he realises, but it's still better than the life they were living outside. I think there's something about the line that, yeah, but aren't we just doing the same shitty thing day after day after day after day out there? Why not do it here? Yeah.
0: Yeah, he says uh, there's not much difference between being stuck in a loop here to living the same day over and over again outside. And
1: he prefers, you know, what they've got here.
2: Yeah,
0: and I can see why. Yeah, so can I.
1: Justin tries to dissuade him as any sane human being would do. They head back to the camp. Shitty Carl returns before discovering the gun before gleefully shooting himself in the head and then going, Damn it! As he reappears. As he reappears. (laughs) Yeah, that's
2: great. I guess this really brings home the, the whole fate worse than death aspect of it. Shitty Carl is now trying to find a different way of killing himself and I guess he must have known that it wouldn't work. But... No matter what he does, he's going to be there over and over again. He's he's always going to die. There's always, I guess, going to be that pain, that uh, fear of being trapped. And I don't know about you two, I mean, when I'm writing scenarios... I much prefer to try to find things like that as potential horrible fates for player characters when things go wrong than just death.
0: Or just the monster eats you. Yeah, that's not, not so good.
2: I mean, death, depending on how you portray it, can be nasty, it can be visceral. If you're attached to the character, it can be quite poignant. But something like this, and just sort of describing this as a coder, this is you for eternity. Hmm. Just seems so much darker to me. Oh, yeah, definitely.
1: I was left wondering about this, thinking when they're describing it as a loop, as the bound to do the same thing over and over and over again. Well, they're not really, are they?
0: No, but their fate is they're just going to loop around again. So I think, you know, whatever they do to try and leave or to try and kill themselves or to try and, you know, and I guess it's that thing of like Carl, he's at this shack in the woods, he's on a three hour loop. So it's like, I guess you could kind of think, well, he's got it all good. He can just have a nice time out there in the woods, can't he? It's like being on holiday. But you're stuck there forever yeah. with nothing to do. You can't leave, and there's no company, and he's just going out of his head because he's just trapped there. It's like just being trapped in a, a room. It's like being in prison, I think, for him, really. Yeah.
1: For him, I think that's definitely that's a horrible fate. Mm. But for thinking of the likes of, hey, we've got a 10-year cycle, mm that's immortality. Yeah. You've got a whole group that you're able to, as they say, do creative endeavours, spend their million hours working on whatever they want to achieve mastery. That's an idyllic situation if you're with the right people and you've got all the materials you want to work with. And I think that's why I said I think it's because it is a benevolent cult. I think they don't want to leave,
0: do they? It's pretty apparent they don't want to leave. Oh, I don't know. They're happy. A lot of them are happy being there. In a way, they're kind of trapped, but in another way, you know, they are doing their thing you know they are they are doing their you know million hours as you said matt
2: you talk about them being happy but i mean you've got tim warning aaron off or at least warning him to make the right decision as the time of ascension is coming closer you see how getting more and more anxious and i guess yes all right you've, you've got that 10-year loop you've got the company you've got the creative endeavors and yeah sure you, you've got your then your million hours getting really good at something And maybe the next million hours getting really good at something else. And then the million hours after that, and 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 the million hours after that. that.
1: I think the thing that would probably piss me off the most is that every 10 years, all that writing that I'd done and all those uh, manuscripts of scenarios (laughs) that I'd wrote, I'd have to rewrite them all over again. Uh, That would be the one thing that pisses me off, because I hate repetition. But it strikes me as being a prison that's so long and so wide and vast that it wouldn't feel so much like a prison to
2: me. There's a fantastic story by Jonathan Carroll called The Jane Fonda Room. It starts off with a fairly classic setup for a story, and it's a guy dying and realising that he's gone to hell. The devil there sort of seems to be this really nice, friendly figure and, you know, welcomes him and hell seems to be very pleasant. And they get talking and the devil asks him, what is it that he loves more than anything else? And he thinks about it and he says, uh, I'm a big fan of the films of Jane Fonda. And he oh, all right. And so the devil takes him off to this room where the sits down and they start playing on a projector, this Jane Fonda film, I can't remember which one it is. And, yeah, know, I can't remember exactly how it's described, but it's talking about this happiness, looking up at the face of Jane Fonda on the screen for what would be the first of an eternal number of times. Mm-hmm. And the realisation that whatever you love the most will eventually turn to hell and that's somehow because it's something you loved so much that's going to make it worse
1: there's an episode of the twilight zone the original series that does something similar with a guy going to hell and then end up in a a casino and he wins every game of course it starts off being lovely but then when he just continually wins it's oh yeah i won again yay good old twilight Mm. zone
0: so anyway back at camp the brothers see tim unlock the mysterious boat shed They go inside and discover that it's full of films and videos from all different periods. There's like reels of film, there's CDs, there's cassette tapes, there's all sorts from across, you know, many, many decades. The first video they watch seems to be a live feed from the campground showing the community gathering under the three moons for ascension as the entity comes to them
1: the thing i love about that padlock is that it would give you at least a couple of bonus die on a lockpick skill oh it's huge you wouldn't need <laughs> yes. lock picks to get in there you just put your finger in there and twiddle the barrels yeah. inside the lock <laughs> it's great
0: <laughs> so what do we think this place is it's like it's kind of like the repository of all the, i took it as the repository yeah. of all their things they'd found and that's that's where they kind of keep them it's like the store of accumulated knowledge really
2: it's almost like a temple
0: yeah like a shrine yeah Pretty cool. It's the blockbuster of the gods. Yes.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you consider that they might see all of these things that they're being given as, yeah, sort of messages from the divine.
1: The brothers run over to the campfire and find only ashes, as if everyone had been incinerated. Aaron still wants to stay, because he's a dumbass. I mean, but changes his mind as soon as Justin agrees to stay with him, saying that all he really wanted was to be listened to. Aww. controlling older brothers.
2: feel like he had a choice
1: maybe they can make a life for themselves in the outside world after all brotherly love
2: Hmm. matt i mean you've just called him a dumbass for doing that but a moment ago you were sort of saying how idyllic it would be to to be in that loop so yeah apart from the last bit Mm. which side of that do you come down on is it worth that death and rebirth uh, to live somewhere idyllic like that for that 10 years or seeing that grim ending to it all and before they sort of rise from the ashes again is that is that a price worth paying it's more in the sense of that moment
1: that it just strikes me that aaron is just making a really dumb really kind of un what the fuck decision because he's just seen as what's happened to a bunch of people and it's like you want that as well i can understand the appeal of being in that loop but to then be confronted with that really horrible end to it and still wanting to be involved hmm. in it, it's like hey i want that fate for me that just seems like a really
2: but that fate is like a, a couple of minutes of pain or horror in the course of 10 years a price to be paid so if if the rest of the 10-year loop is idyllic like that Everyone dies.
1: Um, I'm going to try and live forever or die trying, personally.
0: The campground starts to tear itself apart around them. This is the entity like just destroying everything. The debris is gathering in a huge spinning circle. The brothers flee, trying to bump start their car. They're, they're pushing it along the road. They jump in and, and drive off as the entity is uh, chasing them. They finally mark, make it through the stone markers. There's kind of like, almost like a mirror that they're sort of smashing through. And they find themselves back on the road, the road where that, that shrine was to their parents as, as they drove in. You know, they've made it, and they're free, and they're, they're back to the real world.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. We didn't touch on that in our earlier discussion, but there was the whole idea that they were foundlings, effectively, that their parents had died outside the commune in a road accident, and that they'd been rescued from the wreckage, and the cult had taken them in and raised them.
1: That's the kind of shrine that they stop off at towards the start, isn't it? So we got a couple of minutes. I mean, what did you
0: guys make of it? I mean, Matt, you sound like you weren't too impressed with it. No,
1: I, I just thought it was a bit too batshit for me. It's It really was a very difficult film to follow from a certain point. It just seemed that, oh, here's a whole load of individual scenes that are kind of okay on their own right, but they make an incoherent film when you put them together. Oh, gosh, no. I wouldn't watch the film again, put it that way.
0: Right, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is like a lot of you're kind of wandering from one zone to another and there are different things, like there's Shitty Carl and there's Chris and Mike in their shed with their drugs and there's the tent with the the five-second repeat and there's the... Yeah, there's all these different, like, areas you can go to, which, I mean, personally, I really enjoyed, but...
2: I think this relates to what we were talking about in the Cosmic Horror episode a while back, where an important part of betraying the weird and the ineffable is the use of motifs is the thematic side of it and i think here because you've got the time loops because you've got the circles that i disagree very strongly it doesn't feel like just random stuff that it all does feel like it is part of something between that and the photographs and the media and so on that it does all feel like it it connects and even when it doesn't necessarily make sense to the conscious mind I think there's enough connection there on a subconscious level or on a thematic level that nothing, at least to me feels remotely out of place
0: No, I think mean, it does link together but it is, you know, on the surface of it you've kind of got to put those pieces together to link it all up but overall, I mean, I, this is the second time I've watched it and I, I really enjoy it. I mean, I would watch this and I'd definitely like to watch Resolution again those two, I just thought were were great and, and kind of great films in a. I don't want to say low key, just kind of. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to put it. Really, It's just. I guess I just like I said about the friendship between the two lead characters. I just kind of enjoy being with the film. Really.
2: Well, it's very sort of unusual combination of cosmic weirdness and the very human level of things. that They do fundamentally feel like very human stories about people in the midst of all this, you know, relatable, understandable people in the midst of all this weirdness. Yeah. I think that's true of... Certainly their first three films, I got it less from Synchronic.
0: And it didn't feel contrived either. It all sort of... One thing organically leads to another, and I've just... I never kind of really felt like I was being manipulated or the plot was kind of taking well it was unlikely, but you know, I don't know uncomfortable twists or whatever it, it, it just worked it just flowed along really well I found
2: yeah I don't know what it is about this film i I've watched each one of their films as they've come out, and I absolutely love both resolution and spring spring especially I've now seen the Endless twice, and I enjoyed it a lot more the second time I saw it. But I still don't love it the way that I did the first two films. There's, mm. there's a lot in it I like. I like the ideas, I like the characters, I like the situation. I like the, the individual parts of it. But I don't connect with it on the same kind of emotional level as I did with their first two films. It, I didn't find it as, as moving or involving.
0: I found Spring left me pretty cold. It lacked the friendship, it lacked the humanity. Oh, gosh. It had more kind of gore and unpleasantness, but it didn't have the the soul that these two have got.
2: Oh, I disagree so strongly. I mean, I'd say that, for me, was the one that really did have soul. It felt very human and romantic, and it was a sort of perverse romantic comedy. Well, not comedy, but... Yeah, it didn't work as a comedy or a romance for me, but... That, for me, is the one that really played on my emotions Mm.
1: you've given it the kiss of death to me by describing something as a rom-com so fuck that i'm not going anywhere near it
2: (laughs) sort of a a lovecraftian rom-com with really gruesome creature effects but synchronic yeah i'll be interested when you get round to it and seeing what you make of synchronic i look forward to watching giving synchronic a go yeah definitely that one struck me as being one that tries the hardest to be an emotional film and is probably the least successful at that. Mm-hmm. I still like it, but it felt oddly flat to me. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. You're listening to The Good Friends of Jackson and Elias. You can find show notes for this episode at BlasmusTomes.com, where you will also find links to all our social media presences. We have T-shirts and other merchandise available at our Redbubble store. And if you're enjoying the show, please consider backing us at patreon.com slash Elias. We offer a variety of interesting rewards to our backers, so please do check that out. Thank you for listening. Well, once again, the time has come round, as it always seems to, but luckily without anyone dying, for us to thank our backers. First of all, well, thank you to you for listening to the podcast. Thank you to anyone who has ever backed us at any stage. And we have a number of new people to welcome into our friendly, benign little cult.
0: Yep. And first, thanks going out to Keeper Doc. Thanks very much. And thanks also to Carson Mallon. And thank you very much to JK. And thanks to RPG Nook.
2: Ah, yes, yeah, that's Graham, who I've been playing stuff with over with Ain't Slayed Nobody. The RPG Nook is this channel that he does, the, the YouTube channel, and he's also got an associated website. He talks about Call of Cthulhu scenarios and gives you know, lots of different options for them. He's produced uh, additional supplementary materials and yeah, lots of very cool stuff, as well as writing a lot of particularly down Darker Trails stuff himself. So I'll put a link in the show notes. And also thanks to Craig Forsyth. And thank you very much to Casimir Kodasevich.
0: And finally, thanks to Paul Cully. All right, well, this
1: show isn't endless. <laughs> <laughs> you say that, but someone could just push start again at end of episode, just put it on a loop. Yeah, they just press that loop button
0: that you used to get on the cassette players. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Just keep playing the old C90 round and round
2: alternatively i mean if if one of us dies during the making of one of these episodes well then who knows
1: that may happen if you force sound of my voice on me again i might just decide to blow my fucking brains out <laughs> rather than watch that again
0: <laughs> somebody did post to the uh i think twitter where you'll find us uh, good friends of je posting saying uh, does matt like any stories i'm sure he <laughs> does why don't you cover one of those sometime so, Matt, next time we do a film or a story or whatever, I think it's only fair that you do some choosing.
2: Well, no, no. I think next time we do a story, Matt gets to choose because he did choose a fucking cadaver. <laughs> don't forget that.
0: Well, I think it's it's good for you to have the shoe on the other foot, mm-hmm. Scott, and to be on the uh, the receiving end of a film you mm. don't like because you <laughs> usually choose them, so you automatically like them.
1: As, <laughs> as we are well aware with the likes of Repulsion. I still haven't yeah. forgiven you for that. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thinking of stories i like if you uh, tune back into the previous episode if you haven't seen that i, I really enjoyed mm. mr On. so there are plenty of stuff out there that i do like it's just they rarely seem to hide on oh, onto the show
0: <laughs> yeah well that's, that's what i think we should strive to correct yeah so uh join us in the future when we'll be hearing more of things that matt likes yeah. but until then it's a goodbye from me cheerio from me and a farewell from me
2: Blasphemous